as we pray for these things, we are mindful of the gospel that God has given to us. And that's what we're reminded of as we turn to the 10th chapter of Hebrews. I invite you to turn there this Lord's Day. This will be our sermon text this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. Uh, If you've been with us, you know that we've been walking through uh, the book of Hebrews together. If you've not been with us, uh, trying to summarize the first nine and a half, ten chapters of Hebrews is kind of like taking a sip of water out of a fire hydrant. Uh, There is a lot here. But actually, what we see in today's text uh, is a summary of sorts. It's a reminder of sorts. Um, The writer of Hebrews is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, to a group of people who had become followers of Jesus and had a background of Judaism. These are Hebrew Christians. And they are at a point in their faith where they are struggling and tempted to turn away from their new faith in Christ and to turn back to their old Judaism. They're being persecuted. They're being persuaded. And so the writer of Hebrews has been laying out an argument very clearly for why they need to keep their hope in Jesus Christ. And that's such a needed reminder for us today during this Advent season as we look back on the first coming of Christ, as we look ahead to the second coming of Christ. It's a needed reminder for us today because we are so easily distracted by all of the activity and all of the hustle that comes this time of year. We need to pause and consider why is it that we celebrate Christmas? What is so significant about the coming of Jesus Christ? And so that's what we see in Hebrews 10. A reminder of these things we've been taught and why they are important. So this will be our last sermon in Hebrews before the beginning of next year. As we turn the page next year, we'll start to get into passages in Hebrews that talk very much about application and what we're to do with all this doctrinal truth we've received. But today, I just want to sort of summarize some of the things that we've looked at as we walk through this passage and look at why these truths are so important to us. So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. And out of reverence for God's Word, if you're able to, if you would stand together as I read the text for us. Uh, Again, we stand because this is not the Word of man. This is the Word of God. So often people say, well, I wish God would just tell me. Well, friends, He has, and this is it. So let's listen intently to what our holy, sovereign Creator God has told us in His Word. The writer has walked us through the significance of Jesus as the great high priest and his once-for-all sacrifice. He returns now to this comparison of those priests in the temple who offered sacrifices over and over again. And he says this in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. And every high priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us 
For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. If you would pray with me. Father, what a glorious, glorious truth that we can be forgiven. What a wonderful truth that for those who are in Christ, we have been forgiven. And yet, Lord, this truth can be lost on us if we will not repent and we will not believe. God, I pray in these moments you would do what only you can do through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would open up eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe the glorious truth of the gospel of Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. During this Advent season, we sing Christmas hymns and Christmas carols because so many of these songs that we sing, they, they teach us the truths of the gospel. And in fact, I'm always uh, sort of surprised uh, to an extent that we live in such a secular world, secular society, uh, a place where people are so antagonistic towards the gospel and towards Jesus. And yet, this time of year, you can walk into just about any public building and you will hear songs about Christ and the incarnation and great doctrinal truths being taught. There are songs that teach us great truths about Jesus that we sing this time of year. And then there are songs that when we think about the lyrics, they really don't teach us much of anything. <laughs> They're hard to understand. They're a little bit lost on us. And yet we sing them anyways because it's the holiday season. So for example... Uh, the 12 days of Christmas. Uh, I am assuming every person in this room could probably sing from memory the 12 days of Christmas. And yet, when you think about that song for a moment, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, or at least it seems to be lost on us. Now, just by a show of hands, how many of you are hoping to get a partridge and a pear tree this year for Christmas? Anybody? Anybody got two turtle doves in the trunk that you're hoping to surprise somebody with? Did that family get together lately? I mean, if you actually walk through that list of gifts, there's an enormous amount of birds alone in the 12 days of Christmas. And it really doesn't make much sense when you actually think about these gifts and what they are. We don't know much about the origins of this song other than it's a rather ancient song, but some speculate that the reason that it's a bit lost on us is because these were symbols to represent something else. In fact, some speculate that the 12 days of Christmas was actually a catechism for children to teach them about the faith. And so my true love, for example, would be our Father God. And giving to me is giving to me as a Christian. And then each of those numbers and those gifts has significance in the faith for something they symbolize. For example, a partridge in a pear tree could symbolize the gospel of Jesus and Jesus himself. Uh, Mother partridges, I've learned, uh, will sacrifice themselves for their young to protect them. And so that's a picture, a symbol of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, the two turtle doves represent the Old and the New Testament. And as you go through those numbers, each of them, according to this theory, kind of match up with a biblical truth that can be taught through that song. 
Four calling birds can represent the four Gospels. Six geese a-lang, the six days of creation. Ten lords a-leaping, the ten commandments. And the list goes on. And so when you start to look at it, it's a rather clever way then to teach some of these important biblical truths and to remind us about these important biblical truths. Now, whether that's the origin of the song or not, I'm not so sure. But I do think it's a good thing for us to look for whatever means we can to be reminded of important Christian truths. In fact, that is the responsibility of the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, We are not here to have some type of social club. We're not here to check off your religious duty box for the day. We are here to make disciples of Jesus Christ and to take the gospel of Jesus to the nations. And what we need to do is gather together as God's people and to learn and be reminded often of the great doctrinal truths of our faith. And so as we walk through this passage today, I want to take some time just to remind us of some of the great doctrinal truths that we learn about Jesus in this passage, and then just speak for a moment about each one and why it is significant. These are all points that we've covered along the way in Hebrews, but they all come back to us in this passage. And so we'll begin with the first point there in your outline. This reminder we have that Jesus is the only one who can take away sins. Jesus is the only one who can take away sins. The writer tells us in verse 11, for every priest stands daily at his service. He's speaking here of the temple priest, the priest in the tabernacle, who would make those ongoing sacrifices for the sins of the people. But notice what he says. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Now just consider that for a moment. Consider what it would have been to live under the old covenant during the Old Testament times. God gave His people very clear instructions for what they were to do in regards to their sin. In fact, we see this connection between sin and a blood sacrifice. We see it all the way back in creation and in the fall. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they were immediately aware that they were sinners. They were aware of their nakedness. In fact, they tried to cover themselves. But if you recall what happened there, When God came and gave them a consequence, there was a blood sacrifice. He killed an animal and covered them with the skins of that animal. And yet, this blood sacrifice did not leave Adam and Eve forgiven of their sin. There was still a consequence. They were still removed from the presence of God. And we see this pattern continue in the Old Testament. God gives instructions for His people. When He brings them out of Egypt and He's taking them to the promised land, He gives them instructions for the tabernacle, for the priest, for what these offerings would look like. But there's this reminder that they would have. Over and over, they would offer these sacrifices. It would remind them that they were sinners, but it would never take away their sin. Well, the writer of Hebrews puts this all together for us. and says these things were a shadow leading up to the reality. They were pointing us towards Jesus, who is the one who's able to take away sins. And so an important doctrinal truth that we must remember is that Jesus is the only one that can take away sins. Now here's the question. Why is that important? Why? 
I mean, I would imagine for most of us this morning, if I asked the question, can Jesus take away sins? Is Jesus the only one that can take away sins? We would all say, I hope, yes, yes, that's true. But why is that important? And the reason is this. Because so often, our gravitational pull is towards trying to deal with sin in our own terms. What we try to do is balance the scales. What we try to do is outweigh our bad with our good. What we try to do is we think, if I can just be religious enough, if I can just do enough good things, well, that will take away my sin. And friends, that's not what the gospel teaches us. I was reminded of this years ago. I was reading or read a story about a 60-year-old man named Bill. And Bill was being celebrated by the Red Cross, and that's why they wrote this article, because he had reached a milestone in donating blood. At this point in his life, Bill was a six-year-old man, had given 100 pints of blood to the Red Cross. Now, that's quite a significant achievement. That's giving a lot of blood over the course of his life. And so this reporter uh, interviewed Bill and asked the question, why did you do it? I mean, a lot of people give blood. We have blood drives here at Bloomfield Baptist Church. A lot of people will stop in and do that whenever there's some type of natural disaster. People line up to give blood. But a hundred pints of blood? Why did you do this? Here's what Bill said. I know at the end of my life that I'm going to stand at the pearly gates and God is going to ask me, Bill, why should I let you into heaven? And I'm going to tell him, because I gave over 100 pints of blood. I figured that should be good enough. Here's the reality. More people in our nation think like Bill than believe what the Gospel teaches. According to one survey I read recently, 55% of Americans believe if they are good enough, they will earn their way to heaven. So chances are, if that's what 55% of Americans believe, that's what some of you in this room believe. And so let me clearly state to you what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And that the wages of sin is death. And here's what that means. Because of our sin, we deserve hell. The question is not... Why would a good person go to hell? The question is, why would God ever allow any of us into heaven? Because we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of God's glory. But the biblical truth, the gospel truth is this. God demonstrates His love toward us. Romans 5, 8. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now consider the significance of that gospel truth. Consider what it is we celebrate during this Advent season. I have four children, and I love all my children. Now, I might tell them sometimes, one's my favorite over the other, but I love all four of my children greatly. And many of you in this room, I love you. You are my church family, and I would do whatever I could do for you. If you need money, I'll give you what's in my pocket. I found $7 in my pocket this morning. I said, well, I'm going to get a biscuit. And then Benjamin told me he got food poisoning from getting a biscuit, so I didn't get a biscuit. So I've got $7 still in my pocket. You can have my $7. I'll do whatever I can do for you, but listen to me. If the choice is between you living and my children living, I will preach your funeral. I'm not going to give my child for you. 
And I fully expect you would not give your child for me. Consider the gravity of what God did. That He gave His Son for us. And not those of us who were His friends. And not those of us who were kind to Him. The Scripture says we were enemies. And we were sinners. And we were angry towards Him. And we were shaking our fist all the while. And His Son died for us. Friends, He is the only one who can take away sins. Your good will never outweigh your bad. There are no scales when you get to heaven. And there will be no questions about how much blood you donated. There will be one question and one only. And that is this. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? And friend, if you haven't, you have no hope. But if you will, all the hope you have. What a great gospel truth that is to remember. Jesus is the only one who can take away sins. Number two, Jesus is our great high priest. The writer of Hebrews tells us in verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. He did this because He is the great high priest. This is a truth that we have seen hit on over and over and over again in Hebrews because it is such an important truth for us to understand. It's the comparison we see between the Old Covenant and the New, between the Old Testament and the New, this old system that God gave His people where He said, you will have a priest, and that priest, that high priest, will go in once a year on the Day of Atonement, and they will make an offering for their sin and for the sin of the people. And this will continue year after year after year. It was pointing towards our great high priest who would go in once for all. There's that picture here that we see that's just phenomenal. In the Old Testament, we have all these instructions and descriptions of the tabernacle and then the temple. And in all of those things, there's never ever mentioned a place for the priest to sit down because the priest never sat down. There was always work to be done. But what does Jesus do? He finishes the work and He sits down. And this is significant because this means He has paid the price of your sin and mine in full. He's not suffering on a cross today. He has suffered and He has died and He has conquered sin and death and He has been raised from the dead. So why is this important? Why is this truth so important for us to know? Well, there's many, many reasons, and we've covered many of them in Hebrews, but I'll remind you of one this morning. Because Jesus is our great high priest, if we trust in Jesus, if we are in Christ, what that means for us is that we have direct access to God. Friends, that means that you don't get to God today through a Baptist pastor or through a Catholic priest you go directly to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. We read about this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13, where we see that through Jesus Christ our Lord, we have boldness and we have access with confidence through our faith in Him. What a beautiful thing this is that we have access to the Father through the Son. I was reminded of this as I read a story not long ago of a young boy years ago in London and 
this young boy had approached the palace there in London and he wanted to go in. He was a young boy and he wanted to meet the king. Of course, you would expect he can't just do that. In fact, there were gates there and there were guards there and as he told them what he wanted to do, they made it very clear to this young boy off the street, well, you just can't come into the palace and talk to the king. Well, as the guards were telling the young boy this, and as he was pleading his case, a well-dressed gentleman came up and he put his hand on this young boy's shoulder and he asked him what the problem was. And he told him, well, I want to go in and I want to speak with the king. And that man simply nodded. And with that nod, the gates opened and the guards saluted and he walked right into that palace and that well-dressed man took him right to the king because that well-dressed man was the Prince of Wales. And that was his father. And he had access to his father. And as I read that, I thought, what a picture of the gospel. That through Jesus Christ the Son, friends, we have access to the King. We have access to God. What a wonderful truth that is for us to remember. Number three, we see in verse 13, this truth that Jesus rules over all creation. The writer tells us in verse 13, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. The doctrinal truth here is that Jesus is sovereign, that he has dominion, that he is in full control, and he rules over all creation. And we need to be reminded of this often. That's why the writer of Hebrews mentions this a number of times. In fact, here he's quoting from Psalm 110, which is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Psalm 110 talks about the dominion of Christ and the rule of Christ. It talks about after the ascension, the death, burial, resurrection, what Christ does and that He is in heaven and that He is ruling with authority. And it gives this picture that His enemies are a footstool for Him. And you see the picture there? Not only has He defeated them, His feet are on them. He is in control. So why is this important for us to remember? Why do we need to be reminded this Lord's Day at Bloomfield Baptist Church, this third Sunday of Advent, why do we need to be reminded that Jesus rules over all creation? And friends, I think in part we need to be reminded of this because we can be tempted to believe that creation is ruling over us. We live in a fallen world. We live in a messed up world. You, you turn on the news and it won't take you long to just see story after story after story of the wickedness and the depravity of man. Well, we live in a world where we will get a phone call and our world will be rocked as we hear news of sicknesses and disease and deaths and crises. We, we are surrounded by sickness and death and turmoil and suffering. And it can feel like creation is ruling over us. But the great truth of God's Word is this. That the day is coming when Jesus says He will make all things new. That the day is coming where there will be no more sickness and no more disease and no more cancers and no more death. And where Jesus says He the ruler of all creation makes all things new. The day is coming when you will not be able to offend those that you love. When you won't be able to say the wrong thing. The day is coming when we will be at perfect 
peace with one another. And we will rejoice in the Gospel day after day after day. And friends, oh, what a day that is for us to long for and to look forward to. And what a great truth it is to be reminded of from God's Word. Number four, we're reminded that Jesus makes sinners clean. Jesus makes sinners clean. Verse 14, we read, For by a single offering, He, Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We're reminded here of this great doctrinal truth of what has been done, what will be done, what is being done. If you are in Christ, if you have trusted in Jesus, then here is what is true of you. He speaks of your past and says you have been perfected. He has cleansed you and He has cleaned you. He has completely done this. It took place the moment that you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. The moment that you acknowledged that He was the Son of God. The moment that you confessed Him as Lord. You were perfected. You might not feel so perfect today. And maybe you feel like you're somebody who just struggles today. Maybe you look back on the time you became a Christian and now, and you go, man, that's just been an up and down experience. I, I don't feel so perfected. What you need to understand is this. In the eyes of God, He sees you through the Son, and He has cleaned you. And in His eyes, you have been perfected. And yet, notice what else He says. He looks to the future and says, this is for all time. He says, this is a finished work that you are sealed, and it is complete and you can have assurance in it, but there's a present work. You're being sanctified. You're being cleansed. You are being worked on by God day after day after day. And this is so important for us to remember. I don't know about you, but I look around at my life and I can see all the time the effects of this, this microwave society we live in. When I say microwave society, I mean this. Uh, I remember... As a child, when we got a microwave, and I remember what it was to wait for something to cook, and then to put something in this magic machine, and ten seconds later, it was done. And what that's done for us isn't just affected our food and our cooking, it's kind of affected our life, because we now live in a day and age where we want everything now. We, we want instantly gratification. We, we want it now. We don't want to wait for anything. And so, you, you want to lose weight? Well, take this pill, you lose weight. You, you, you want to buy something, you have the money for it? Well, here, here's a line of credit, just go get it. And if we're not careful, then this seeps its way into our Christianity and our walk with God, and we expect immediate results. And so, some of us are frustrated today because we've given our lives to Jesus, and yet we're still struggling with sin in our lives, and so we don't understand that. But the reality is this, we're being sanctified. The Christian life is three steps forward and two steps backward. The Christian life is a marathon, it's not a sprint. And the reality of the Scripture is those who endure to the end will be saved. It is a long haul. And we need to be reminded of that. Because the truth is this, you can come in here and you can sing the first Noel and you can walk out of this church and you can cuss your neighbor. And you can stand here and you can sing songs about the gospel and somebody says, how are you? Oh, I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm great. And you walk out of here and you can hit the hardest depression in your life and want to take your life. The reality is, 
that we are capable of just jumping right off the cliff and losing it all, of betraying the ones we love, of breaking our vows, of being so entirely faithless. And so we need to recognize the truth of God's Word that sanctification is a process and it is a long haul. And if you're struggling today with sin, if you are just worn out by sin, if you feel like, listen, my Christian life is not three steps forward, two steps back. My Christian life is one step forward, ten steps back. Then friends, the call today is trust in Christ and walk by faith. And you will see over time what God does for those who trust in Him and seek to obey Him and walk with Him is there a slow, steady process where He makes us more and more into the image of His Son until that day in glory when He makes all things new. Number five, we see the truth that Jesus establishes the new covenant. Beginning in verse 15, we read, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. This is a reminder to us of that great doctrinal truth that we see Jeremiah speak of in Jeremiah 31. Now, Jeremiah was a prophet to the people of Israel during a day when they were rebellious and they would not obey God. He was called the weeping prophet because he would say God's word and people would reject it over and over and over again. He would weep and lament for their sin they would not repent of. And so he spoke, God spoke through him of a day that was coming where there would be a new covenant. Not a day when he'd say, okay, I'll make the old covenant better, but, but a new covenant through Christ. Why is that important for us to remember? It's important for this reason. That the old covenant was conditional. The old covenant was the covenant that God made with Moses on that mountaintop where He told the people, if you will obey, I will bless you. And if you disobey, I will curse you. It was conditional on the faith and the acts of the people. And what happened? The people did not have faith. The people struggled in their faith. And as a result, many of them did not make it into the promised land. The writer of Hebrews reminds us, many of them died in the wilderness. Why? Because the old covenant was conditional in part on man's faithfulness. How is that different from the new? Well, the new covenant made through Christ is entirely, entirely based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And here's the good news. Jesus is perfectly faithful. Friends, you are not going to show up in heaven one day because you were so faithful. You will make it into heaven because Christ is perfectly faithful. And that is news we need to hold tightly to, especially in days when we struggle with our faith. We can look back at the old covenant and we can empathize with those Hebrews who wrestled with their faith because we wrestle with our faith. And if our entrance into the kingdom one day was based on our faithfulness, we would die in the wilderness as well. But our entrance into a new heaven and a new earth is based entirely on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And in that, we can and should rejoice. And number six, one more truth to cover. Jesus offers complete forgiveness. Jesus offers complete forgiveness. We're reminded of this truth in verses 17 and 18, where again, he's quoting here from Jeremiah 31. It says, Then he adds, 
I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering of sin. The great doctrinal truth here is that Jesus doesn't just forgive us in part. Jesus doesn't just forgive us for some of the things we've done. Jesus offers us complete forgiveness. So that God's Word says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. We talked about this before, that this doesn't mean that God forgets. I heard a story just this week. I was listening to a podcast about memory and and heard about a man who had a rather remarkable amnesia. It was a short-term amnesia where he literally could not remember recent events for more than a few seconds at a time. And you can imagine how chaotic that would make a person's life to just, they're, they're, they're forgetting things right and left often. When we think about amnesia, what a, what a horrible thing to have to not remember. Friends, God does not get amnesia when we come to faith. He doesn't forget our sin. What the Scripture says is that He will not remember our sin. And that's a much more glorious truth because what it means is this. That word remember means that God will not hold our sin against us. Now think about that for a second. Some of you are in relationships and have situations where you did something wrong or someone else did something wrong and you're holding something against them or they're holding something against you. Where perhaps you said you're sorry and they said they forgave you, but but you're still holding it against them. And when you get into an argument, when there's a conflict there, then it just comes right back up. Why? Because they're still holding on to it. They're, They're holding it against you. When they see you, they see that offense. That's not what God does in the Gospel. What God does in the Gospel is He cleanses us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then He says He will never hold that sin against us anymore. And what a glorious thing that is to consider. I mean, think about your offenses towards people and towards God. And in Christ He says, I will not hold that against you. You can be forgiven completely. Your burden can be gone. But here's the reality. This, like these other truths that we've mentioned, it's not enough just to know these things. We have to do something about them. It's not enough just to know that God is our Creator and that He is holy and righteous. To know that we have sinned against Him. To know that Christ came to die for our sin. To know that if we believe in Him and trust in Him, we'll be saved. We have to do something. And what the Scripture says we have to do very clearly is this. We need to believe God's Word. To believe that Jesus truly is the Son of God and that He died in our place on the cross. And we need to believe that God raised Him from the dead. And we need to believe that He's coming back one day for us. And we need to believe in the great truths of His Word. And we need to confess Him as Lord. And that means that we need to get off the throne of our lives and see Christ on the throne of our lives. We need to let Christ call the shots. And the reality is this. For some of us, we know these things. And maybe we've known them for years. But we've not truly acted on them in our heart. And so the call today from God's Word is to take this head knowledge and what we know and to actually act on it. To place your trust in Jesus. To obey Jesus. To walk with Jesus. 
by faith, to trust in Jesus, to look back and celebrate the events of his first coming, and to long for his second. And so we invite you to do that now as we come to this time of response. If you would stand together as I pray for us and as we prepare to respond and prepare to sing.